You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Where is home? Jesus, we're at this section in John. We've been moving through John. Now we're into the farewell discourse. It's kind of sad, honestly. We're into the farewell discourse. As Mike told the story today, the the triumphant entry into Jerusalem has just happened, and Jesus will not leave Jerusalem. This is his last Passover. Last week, Dave preached on the story of Lazarus. In John, Lazarus is where everything pivots. At the end of chapter 11, after the religious leaders see what has happened, they begin to plot. And they say, this guy's got to die. In chapter 12, they're even making a plan to murder Lazarus because Lazarus is now walking around telling people a story about how he was dead for four days and the people that witnessed it are walking around with Lazarus saying, forget it, this guy's the real deal. We saw that tomb open, we saw Lazarus walk out and the religious leaders cannot afford to have Lazarus and his friends telling stories about a man that raises people from the dead. And so the plot to kill Jesus gets turned up to the point that by the end of this week, Jesus will be dead. So he enters into Jerusalem for the last time. He has some interaction, but then he draws away. He pulls the 12 and says, let's get together. He washes their feet, and then he sends Judas out. He says, my soul is troubled. One of you will betray me. He hands Judas the piece of bread. Judas leaves. Judas goes off to make his deal with the religious leaders to betray Jesus and hand him over. Jesus stays with the 11, and we get like three full chapters of Jesus teaching them that has become known as the farewell discourse. All of these things that Jesus wants to say to these 11 followers Before he leaves them, and before, in a very true sense, they are homeless again. They've left home to follow Jesus, and now he's going to no longer be with them. They will be homeless again. In these 17 verses of this farewell discourse, we have some beautiful, some beautiful words, and I just want to focus on two ideas. The first is, remain in me as I remain in you. And the second focuses on Jesus' command to love each other. Jesus uses the image of a vine. I am the vine and you are the branches. You can picture it, the vine thick with roots going deep, deep, deep into the ground. The vine comes up thick until it branches out and often weaves around posts that have been built to hold the vine up so that branches can come out of the vine and bear fruit, grapes, which can eventually be harvested in the right season to make wine or juice. I am the vine and you are the branches and apart from me you have no life. You will not bear any fruit. It's an image that Paul also uses in Romans 11 when he's talking especially about uh, people who are not Jewish, who are outside of the family of God, and he says, you have been engrafted into the true vine. God has taken a notch out of the vine, has put you into the vine, tied you, 
into the vine so that your life can grow straight out of the true vine. You have been engrafted into the family of God, connected to the true vine, the only source of life and hope. I am the true vine and you are the branches. Remain in me. Remain in me. Jesus is very repetitive in his farewell discourse. Over and over again, the themes that he brings up, he just hammers and hammers and hammers. Remain in me. Remain is the Greek verb. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but menean, menean, abide, abode, stick with, make your home with. The verb appears twice in Mark, three times in Matthew, seven times in Luke, and 40 times in John. Remain in me. And like 20 of those are in this passage. Remain in me. Abide in me. Stay with me. John introduces us to this word and this motif that's going to carry throughout his gospel. In in John chapter 1, when some of the disciples come to Jesus and they want to follow him, and and, and they they ask, where are you abiding? Where are you staying? Where, Where are you making your home? And Jesus says, come and see. He uses it again in, 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 in chapter 4 of John. Remember that one? Um, that was the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman that Jesus talks to has this incredible encounter. She goes back to the Samaritans and they come out and they say, Jesus, make your home with us. Come stay with us. Make your home with us for a few days. And Jesus does. And John says that he stays with them. He remains with them, makes his home with them for several days. He uses it again in John chapter 6, which is the bread of life chapter. We get the story of the feeding of the 5,000, and then Jesus teaches on the bread and the wine, and he says this, he says, whoever, this is it's kind of a bizarre verse, he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood is abiding, is making a home with me, and I am remaining, abiding, and I am making my home in that person. Whoever eats of my flesh, drinks of my blood, I am making a home in them, and they are making a home in me. You could retell the entire story of Scripture as God's act of homemaking. The Garden of Eden is created so that God can be at home with humanity, with human beings. And Adam and Eve walk with God in the cool of the evening. It's a place where they can be at home with each other. It's perfect. God wants to be at home with human beings. That's why God creates. He wants to commune with humanity and delight and desire. He creates a world in which we can be at home with God and where God can dwell with us. But that home is broken. It's disrupted. Adam and Eve invite sin into that home and they have to leave the home, the garden, and search, and they've been searching for another home ever since. Abraham is told to leave his home and go and search for the land that I will show you. The Israelites are freed from Egypt, but they wander in the wilderness. Theirs is a story of searching for home, and even when they find it, their story is a perpetual struggle of being brought into exile and then being redeemed, being brought into exile and then being redeemed. There's no home for them. And on God's part, God refuses to not be at home with his people. He's, he's with his people in, in, in a pillar of fire, 
at first in a pillar of cloud. That's how God is at home with his people. And then eventually he gives them instructions to build a tabernacle, which is this like folding tent. I mean, how humble of God. Yeah, build this folding tent with flaps and wings and and make a box and I'm going to abide with you in that box. Eventually, Solomon is able to build a temple and so God moves from making his home with God's people in a tabernacle to making God's home with his people in the temple, in the holy of holies. God's presence abides, stays, remains in the temple, the holy of holies, and that becomes what... Um, religious life centers around, around the temple. But eventually, because God wants to be at home with humans, God takes on flesh and moves into the neighborhood. He takes on flesh and dwells among us. God comes to the world that he created to be at home with, and he moves into the neighborhood. As one writer puts it, God does not know how to be absent from us. God doesn't know how to be absent from us. Continues, the fact that most of us experience throughout most of our lives a sense of absence or distance from God is the great illusion that we are caught up in. It is the human condition. Sin has fractured our ability to be at home with God. God is not distant from us. God is not absent from us. He is very near to us, longing to be at home with us. And of course, the whole story of creation finds its fulfillment in a promise that we hold on to, that one day, a new heaven and a new earth, a redemption of the home that was in the beginning, that's where the story ends, with God and humanity, God and the created order at home with each other again. That's the ark. That's where it's going. God created this world, created human beings to be at home with him. Jesus tells his disciples that he will be continuing by his spirit to make his home, to stay with them. And he pleads with them to make their home in me. Stay with me. Abide in me. Make your home with me. Jesus makes it possible for each of us to remain in him by his spirit. Okay, how? How do we do that? Here's the next section. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This strikes me as one of those verses that um, should probably just floor us, right? (laughs) As the Father has loved the Son, So the Son, so Jesus loves you. Um, Every now and then, like, the Spirit will convict us of that reality, and, you know, we feel the weight of it. And most of the time, we just sort of hear those words and move on. They sound like the Bible. Um, But wow, that's it. I mean, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Man. Mm, Spirit, would you just make that real for us? (laughs) Um, Jesus continues, Now remain in my love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Okay, that's helpful. It's a little bit more specific. Remain in me. Okay, remain in my love. Good. All right, how do we do that? If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. It's a bit of a red flag for me. 
I'm not great at keeping commands. Um, I definitely don't do it perfectly. How well do we have to do it? Um, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Don't. Um, okay. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. That feels like a very high bar in some ways. I feel myself getting a little bit anxious about that, but our next verse relieves me of that anxiety. Because Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I am always appreciative when Scripture tells us the purpose of the passage. Whenever that happens, and it doesn't happen as often as I wish it did, it's so helpful to know, oh, Jesus is telling us this so that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be complete. And joy isn't easy, but it's always good. It's not easy, but it's always good, okay? And then Jesus says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. You will remain in my love if you keep my commands. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Again, this feels like a high bar in some senses. Is John really going to love Bartholomew as Jesus has loved him? Is James really going to love Matthew the way that Jesus has loved Matthew? Greater love has no one than this, to lay one's life down for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I'm struck by the fact that he's, Jesus is speaking to 11 men, 17 to 23-year-old men. 11, 17 to 23-year-old men who are willing to do anything for Jesus. They will kill for Jesus. Oh, they will gladly kill for Jesus. But will they die for each other? That is what it means to follow Jesus. Will they die for each other? What a profound command for any human being. But I was just captured by the, the image of these young men who are so often the most restless among us, right? Every, every political campaign wants to capture the, the imagination of this demographic of people, these young people with energy and fervor and passion and these 17 to 23-year-old, give or take, young men. And Jesus is saying, here's my command. Love each other, serve each other, wash each other's feet, lay your lives down for each other. That's it. That's the command. It's not complicated. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends because a servant does not know his master's business. I call you friends for everything I learned from my father I've made known to you. You didn't choose me but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And then he says it again, this is my command. Love each other. It's so simple in some senses. Jesus is the source of all life, he has made his home with us, and when we make our home in him, when we abide in him, when we rest in him, 
We bear fruit, showing that we are connected to the vine. Fruit trees bear the fruit they're supposed to produce, the fruit they're intended to produce. What is, what is the kind of fruit that Christians ought to bear? Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's summarized in that teaching, right? Love one another. Galatians 5, Paul, another, another reference to Paul here, pulling on other allusions. You, you sort of wonder if Paul was hearing some of the teachings of Jesus and then riffing on them in his letters because in Galatians 5, Paul picks up this image of, of bearing fruit, being connected to the true vine and bearing fruit. And what, are the, what is the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. These are the fruits that Christians are intended to produce. Anybody hear some of those when we were affirming Derek? Some of the fruit of the Spirit shouted out? Yeah. Heard some of those. Derek would be the first person to give credit to the Spirit for producing those in his life and in his ministry. I'm struck by how unsupernatural they are. Patience, self-control. When you exercise patience, you're exer- yeah, it's a fruit of the Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. This, this distinction between supernatural and natural is, I think, usually not helpful. Patience is supernatural. It's a gift of the Spirit. When you exercise self-control, that's a gift of the Spirit. Kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, these are the fruits that are borne out by the Holy Spirit. You can't produce those apart from Christ. These are the fruits that the Spirit bears in our lives. Sometimes we're so hard on ourselves too. Like we want to see, you know, miraculous, unexplainable things. Just be patient. (laughs) Work on patience. Work on kindness. Work on goodness. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. In some senses, this passage is so simple Love one another. Let me say it again. Love one another. Follow my commands. You know what my command is? Love one another. But I, as I was going through it, I also really want to help Jesus a little bit, systematize it, reorder a few things, organize it, so that there's not some of those contradictions as we're reading through it, because it's a little bit confusing. And so I, you know, I want to parse all the Greek verbs and sort of help him reorder what he's saying so that I can, I can sort of like have this really literal translation of it is that's really an order of operations sort of thing. Really easy to follow. Um, and I, I feel like that's probably what the disciples often felt as Jesus was teaching. Like earlier in, in, in the farewell discourse, Jesus is telling them, um, where I'm going, you can't follow. And one of them, one of the disciples is like, just, can I get a, if you, if you tell me the cross streets, we will follow you. Just tell me where it is. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm going to the Father. Where I am going, you cannot follow. And Peter's like, wait, if you don't tell us where you're going, we can't. But if you tell us where you're going, I'll, I'll, I'll gladly go with you. Um, and, then, and then a little later, Philip, you know, Jesus is talking about God, the Father, and Jesus. And, and Philip goes, um, Jesus, hey, just show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. And Jesus is a bit dumbfounded. He says, Philip, how long have you been following me? Where have you been? I just, 
I and the Father are one. I don't say anything unless he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yeah, I know. But like, just show us. and <laughs> Philip, I, there, I just, I, there has to be a moment on the eve of Jesus' death where Jesus is praying to the Father and it just, just to clarify, this lot, those 11, just so I'm certain about this, you want me to leave the kingdom with them? No, 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 it's good. It'll work. That's great. Yes, good. Let's do that. No, no, no. I just want to make sure before I die for this that you've thought this through and you heard what Philip just asked. It's like, come on. Um, no, yeah, good plan. That'll be great. Um, you know, like the disciples, I feel woefully inadequate. No, I, you know, love as I've loved. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, I can't. I can't get there. Follow my commands as I have been obedient to the Father. Be obedient like that. No. I'm not your guy. I'm not cut out for it. In the next 12 hours, all 11 of these guys will run for the hills. Every one of them. When they come to arrest Jesus, not a single one of them remains. They all split. They're gone. Within 12 hours of Jesus saying, remain in me. Stay with me. Make your home with me. Stay by my side. Don't leave me. All 11 of them, 12 hours from now, will go. And Peter, the most confident among them, will deny what? Jesus. Who? Never heard of him. Never heard of him. Three times, the most confident among them will deny knowing Jesus. Jesus, I can't do this. I know you can't. I know you can't. But you didn't choose me. I'm not asking if you can. I'm not asking you to volunteer, to raise your hand, to sign up. Have you ever noticed that? No one in the Gospels volunteers. None of them. No one signs up. Jesus never asks for volunteers. People see what Jesus does and they're convinced of who he says he is, but no one volunteers. Some people try. There's a few that come up to Jesus and say, hey, I'm in. I would love to be your follower. And Jesus says, excellent. Go home. Sell everything you own. Give it all to the poor and then we'll talk. Another guy comes up, hey, I'm ready. I'll, I'll, I'll be your guy. Let, let the dead bury the... I, 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 my dad just died. I had to go, you know, no, go. Jesus, Jesus, anyone that comes up and volunteers, raises their hand, says, I'm your guy. I'm ready. I can do this. No. No one volunteers. None of the disciples are volunteers. None of them sign up. Jesus calls him. Jesus goes up and says, you, you're going to be my disciple. Jesus, I can't do it. That's okay. I know you can't. You didn't choose me. I chose you and I appointed you and you're going to run scared. But I'm not. And when you're done running scared, I'm going to be there. And when you deny me, 
I'm going to find you afterwards. I'm going to forgive you because I got a calling for you. When you go and you close the door on me, I'm going to sit outside the door and knock till you open it. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to wait patiently there until you open the door and I'll be ready. As I've made my home in you, make your home in me. I'm not going anywhere. Because I chose to make my home in you, to remain in you, you have the power to do the same, to remain in me, to trust in me, to rest in me. Because when your grip fails, mine won't. Mine never does. Home. This week I've reflected more and more on uh, how as Sony and I have moved, you know, we've moved a couple times, and how the church and how God have really been home for us. Just curious, show of hands, raise your hand if you were born further than 20 Ks from here. Wow. <laughs> yeah, a lot of us. And I've met people who were born and raised here in Mossman who have expressed that even though they were born and raised here, a deep sense of not belonging, still not feeling like they know where home is. And because they were born and raised here, it feels even worse. They should feel at home here, but they don't. There's a restlessness. No matter what city you go to, no matter what country you're from, there's a homelessness. There's a restlessness. There's an abiding sense of, needing to find somewhere more secure to make home. In Jesus, God has made his home with us. You are a branch on the vine of God, and there's rest and joy in knowing that you have a home in Christ. Make him your home. Remain in his love. How? By loving each other <laughs> as he has loved us. God made you to find rest and peace and home in him. And God came to us as Jesus so that he could be at home with us and our hearts are restless until we rest in that good news. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the true vine. We are the branches. Thank you for... Uh, Thank you for adopting us into your family, for grafting us into the true vine, for giving us a home, and for not abandoning us and leaving us when we fail to love you and to love each other. Help us this week to rest deeply in the promise that uh, you created us you've made your home with us and that we can rest in you. Pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.